Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Anne Philippe, founder and host of the New Health Club Show. I like to invite you to change your mind about psychedelics because I believe we are entering a new era of health, bodies, and brains. And for this, we need new tools, experts, and thought leaders, which you can meet here at the New Health Club Show. Please enjoy. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club Show. My guest today is David Oren. CEO and co-founder of GABA Labs. He and his team are producing a drink called Sentia, a drink that gives us everything we want from alcohol just without the alcohol. Sentia is a so-called GABA spirit, the world's first truly functional alcohol alternative category, a blend of functional botanical ingredients designed by the science team at GABA Labs to offer that two-drink sweet spot that we all know. So Sentia enhances your GABA receptors with no alcohol involved, which is kind of a pretty big deal in the future, I think. I also think Sentia is the perfect product for the world of new healths that I start to explore in the meantime, not only psychedelics. So this is a really interesting addition to all these products that are coming our way. Sentia is designed to create the togetherness and celebration we are used to experience, most of us, with alcohol. But what if we would not use alcohol anymore to connect or to have conversations or to celebrate? Also, Sentia has been created with the research support of Professor David Nutt from Imperial College, one of the most important psychedelic researchers contributing to the new psychedelic industry in science. And please check out his organization, Drug Science, which also does amazing work in the field of psychedelics. With over 40 years of experience, David Nutt is one of the world's foremost experts on alcohol and its effects, sometimes of the negative effects of alcohol. David co-founded GABA Labs in order to achieve the vision of bringing greater choices to adult social drinkers. Sentia is the first consumer-facing brand to evolve from this breakthrough work. It's kind of the third way, neither alcohol nor alcohol-free is just a new tool to actually enhance your GABA receptor. And just for our listeners here, we have a very nice offer for you guys. If you use the code to order a bottle of Sentia or two, please use the code ANE15. To get 15% of your Sentia order, and please head over to www.sentiaspirits.com, punch in the code ANA15 for your 15% off, and order this amazing drink. The code expires March 31st, so please be fast. The demand is pretty high, and please enjoy the show with David. Great to have you on the show, David Oren. 
founder, co-founder of Sentia, one of the hottest brands <laughs> right now. <laughs> we can say that because half Berlin is asking me about this amazing drink that doesn't have alcohol, but is kind of enhancing your GABA receptors. Mm. So, and um, since we will launch this episode in January, which is for a lot of people, the so-called dry January, I would really like to go back to the start, how you actually came up with this drink before we go into the ethno ethnobotanical details. Gosh, that's going back into history. <laughs> so Kentia was actually... The truth be told, it was in, it was, we came up with the idea sitting in Innsbruck Airport. Oh, well. Yeah, we'd come out of a, a meeting with investors and they had said, guys, we love what you're doing with Alcarol, which is our synthetic ingredient that I think will revolutionize the face of drinking. Uh, it's a synthetic molecule that does everything you want from alcohol and it can be very strong or weak or depending on what you want. Um, but the investors said, well, what are you doing about finding this in nature? And David Nutt, Professor Nutt, and I sat at the airport. It was a heavy snowfall. It was Christmas, five, five years ago. And I asked David, where can we find GABAergic compounds in nature? And after we were there for two days, we couldn't leave. The airport was, was frozen solid. And after two oh. days, we made a plan. And we came back to the UK. David went out and recruited a team of scientists who had expertise with plants. And we began to look at the different families of molecules that we were interested in and where they existed within the plant world. And we developed a specification to make a drink that would be not require heavy regulatory testing uh, that could be made from food-grade plants and that would have a GABAergic impact. Um, we began not knowing whether it would take us anywhere, uh, but we went out, studied the literature, put together a database, 400 different plants, which were known to have some effect in this area. We looked at the biochemistry and we figured out ways to amplify the effect of GABA in the gut. It passes through the gut wall, its ability to cross the blood-brain barrier or to uh, enable the appropriate effect across the blood-brain barrier. And Santia was born. Initially, it was a very crude product, very rough. We didn't know how to make it to handle plants. So we had to learn a great deal. We expanded the team and we brought in a brilliant uh, plant expert who, who really understands how to turn plants into liquids, beautiful liquids. And taste has always been a challenge. You know, this is Sentia Black, or this is Sentia Red, uh, which is a very sort of berry-like uh, drink. People often like to drink this with a, with a, a light soda or tonic, elderflower tonic. This is black, very different very challenging, much more challenging flavor, but very- What is a challenging flavor? Much more, what does it mean? but like, also really interesting effect. They're both okay. different. <laughs> Red is designed to create this sort of slightly aphrodisiacal, warm, candlelit dinner, fireside, one-on-one -on -one coziness. And the black one? Black is, is designed for more energy, for, you know, interviews. Oh, okay. okay. If you're giving a TED talk, <laughs> or if you're attending, you know, the meeting of lawyers where you want to be friends, not enemies, <laughs> or you're planning a trip across the Atlantic or your next big business, you might take Sentia Black. Okay. So they're designed for slightly different effects. And there is a third one coming called Sentia Gold, which is designed for 
parties and networking and talking and being very active, walking around a room and meeting people. But I mean, let's quickly come back to David Nutt, who is a very famous researcher for those who don't know him. So to me, and I'm sure to the listeners here too, what's so interesting is that as psychedelic scientist and uh, advocate, you could say, um, has developed this drink. So, and to me, this is already kind of a growing, it shows a growing connection between the psychedelic world or ecosystem that's building and kind of, yeah, kind of creating products that are connected to this new, let's say, tool set that we will need in the next, um, Hmm. or since yesterday, basically. So how did this collaboration came, this very British collaboration (laughs) came into, into the world, let's say? So David is renowned, you know, I think one of the mm-hmm. true statements about David is as a professor, scientist, he's a neuropsychopharmacologist. Mm-hmm. You know, one of his claims to fame is he's given more drugs to more people than anybody and any, any other scientist on the planet in experimental conditions. So his vast experience and understanding the different recesses of the brain and how neuroreceptors work um, has been incredibly valuable. But what we're trying to do here is outside of the scope of the properly defined psychedelic. Psychedelic is really about exploring outside of conventional mind, mind travel and mind experience. Whereas we've set about with Sentia and with Alcoral, in fact, to mimic something that people do on a very, in a very conventional way. And it's very conventional for humans and actually not just for humans, but also for animals, mammals, to consume or to seek out the effect of alcohol as part of normal life. So you'll see apes finding fruit on the forest floor and consuming that and, li- and drinking the liquid around it, which is alcohol. You'll, start, you'll find caribou traveling across North America, seeking out grasslands with high sugar content grasses during the rainy season. Why? Because they're looking to drink the liquid, which is as alcohol. So animals will seek out uh, the effect of alcohol. And that's within a normal, uh, and I think humans have been doing that for many thousands of years. And what we're trying to do is work within within that much more conventional frame. We could produce sentier uh, effects using solids. We could make chocolate or cake. Um, but people like to share a glass. And sharing a glass has become a habitual thing. And I think tapping into that, what has now become a normal, innate human activity, which is to come together and share a glass. That's an important social act which goes across cultures. And I think tapping into that and and providing that healthy um, exchange with liquids that don't do what alcohol, don't do the damage of alcohol, is is our goal. So, I mean, you're already mentioning it. I think it's the first thing I also heard about David Nutt, the so-called Nutt chart that shows us how alcohol is the most dangerous substance for human beings in terms of a heavy consumption. And the last one is, um, I'm just doing this, like the last one is um, mushrooms. Mm. It's actually Christian Angermeyer told me about the nut chart years ago. Mm. So, um, but now, interesting enough, like roughly four years later, you go on Instagram and every Tense post is telling you, oh, or every tense podcast like Andrew Huberman, all the big podcasts really addressing 
the harm that alcohol can do actually to human beings, sometimes not only in, in terms of an alcoholic consumption. So, and um, it also comes into the discussion now with the whole longevity topic, like how it actually affects your brain in a long term. And, um, and I would say, I mean, roughly like five to 10 years ago um, in, let's say, in the media world where I come from mainly, mm. I mean, it was pretty much super normal to have like every night, like a, a party or like drinks. And, and now it is, seems to be really becoming or getting into question if this is the way we, like you say, it still should come together. So if somebody would ask you, so what is so dangerous about alcohol? How do you answer this? I think that it's the ignorance that we have of alcohol that has been the danger. Alcohol itself is, doesn't do any harm unless you consume it uh, in excess. And um, I have drunk a lot of alcohol in my life. I, I grew up thinking that alcohol was what you did as you became an adult. In fact, it was a sign of being an adult that you drank alcohol and stopped drinking Coca-Cola. Um, but alcohol has been with us for so long and we've become dependent upon that social act. And, and that social act is actually also very positive and very important for us. So it isn't simply that alcohol is bad. It's not that alcohol is bad. It's the effect that we have from alcohol when we drink in excess that, that is bad. But the effect of alcohol is really important to us. And um, that effect we need to preserve. The, the idea that people can come together and be open to each other, that our GABA receptors are activated and that we are available and that we can connect so that when I speak with somebody, I'm sharing myself. Um, sometimes, you know, with alcohol, instead of sharing ourselves, we share the alcohol and we speak <laughs> for alcohol. And sometimes I, I, I don't know if it happens to you, but I, I can be in a, in a pub and people are shouting and I'm thinking they're not speaking, they're shouting. It mm. isn't the person that's talking, it's the bottle. And that's the thing that I personally don't like. But I think that the, the, the act of coming together and being open and available to each other is, is really part of who we are. It's part of humanity. And I think we need to find ways to, to make that happen easily. My, my, my dream is that we, that we restore the English pub. The English pub used to sell beer with very, very low alcohol content. Why? Because it was the healthiest liquid. The water from the river was polluted, so we drank alcoholic water. And pubs sold that. It was part of refreshment. I'd like to restore the English pub and make the English pub a, a, a place of safety where we all go. Not because, well, I've only been twice this week. I can go one more time. No, we go to get better. Not just from eating, but spiritually as well. We go to connect and we go to get better from, the, from what we consume because what we consume is healthy. Um, and so we're doing a lot of work into the health impact of activating GABA. Um, we're doing this at a number of different research institutions in the UK, and we do expect to publish data on this. Uh, I believe the, the future is very bright and very encouraging with GABA active alternatives to alcohol. So what, how can you quickly, I know mean, it's, it's like a pharmacological discussion, but how could you quickly describe the GABA receptor and what 
does it actually do? The way I look at this, and I'm an engineer, my background is engineering and, and uh, disruptive technology and innovation. I only came into this with David in 2015. But the way that I understand the receptor system is like my car. Um, I have an accelerator, which is glutamate. It's what gives you the energy. It's what allows you to, to eat, live, you know, and as basic animals to, to kill and to, and to and procreate and, and so on. And your car has an accelerator. Without the accelerator, it wouldn't work. But if it only had the accelerator, you would have a wonderful car in a straight line and then you would die. So we need a brake. And the brake modulates the energy of the vehicle. And the brake is the GABA system. The brake allows you to modulate that energy. And if those two are in balance, then we can have a safe journey. And when we have a safe journey, we're relaxed. And then we can wind the window down, which might be the serotonin. We can turn on the music, which might be the dopamine. We might have oxytocin, which might be the air conditioning. We can engage other systems, or the body naturally engages all the other neuroreceptors. But if glutamate and GABA are fighting each other, if you're accelerating and braking at the same time, which is what alcohol does. Alcohol activates the glutamate and it activates the GABA at the same time. It creates chaos. And then it goes on and overwhelms the dopamine and the serotonin and the oxygen. And it does everything else. It invades everywhere. It's a small molecule. So it invades every part of the brain, every part of the body, um, and then deposits acetaldehyde. So first of all, it creates chaos, emotional chaos, and then it creates physical damage and physical wreckage. It's the very equivalent to me of experiencing a car, accelerating and braking at the same time, turning on the radio and up, music going up and, you know, music volume high, windows going up and down, windscreen wipers. You'd be crazy. That's kind of where alcohol takes you. Whereas what we've tried to do is identify compounds and ingredients that activate GABA in the particular combination of sublevels of the GABA receptor, which allows you to physically and emotionally relax, and tune in to the person that you're with. So, so walk me through the, let's say we have the, let's say we have the black drink you just showed. So let's say you have like a pure, it just, you don't mix it with something, you may, might put like an ice cube, a couple of ice cubes in it. So, and you're with a person, <laughs> you have a drink with that person or a couple of people. So... And then how is the ritual? Because with alcohol, you just, let's say you're in a bar, you order it, you start drinking, and pretty much everybody knows what's going to happen. Some people get drunk faster. Some people drink, you know, but, but for example, if you're with a group, then you go, well, you, you need another glass. Why do you drink so slow? Like I'm a slow drinker, so I'm always the one with the full glass. So, and, um, so what is happening once you, let's say, have this drink in front of you and you start to the first zips. How long does it last? When do, when you feel something, and are you still on the same level with these other people? So first of all, it isn't the same as alcohol. It is different, mm -hmm. um, and we're beginning to gather data, real measurements of the reduction of anxiety that occurs with the consumption of sentia, and we're doing that by laboratory experiments, which are specific, which are directly measuring the oscillation of anxiety that happens in, for example, in the stomach uh, and the, the baseline of that anxiety, how it can drop or be affected. And you can measure that 
And you can see that happen with alcohol. So you may have an amplitude of anxiety like this, and you may have a baseline here, and that amplitude will shorten and drop with alcohol. But very quickly with alcohol, with ethanol, you will see that amplitude return and go back and continue different to before, but it will return and come and, and, and uh, close to what it was before. Whereas with the materials that we use, you can measure the same phenomena and you'll see that amplitude of anxiety is reduced significantly and the baseline drops and stays lower. So you have a reduction in the phenomena, which is translates to anxiety. Um, but it's not the same as alcohol. So it doesn't then go on and invade your dopamine and drive you to want more, drive you to have a, 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 the feelings of I need more. And in fact, many people report, um, this is anecdotal information, but many people do report that drinking sentia actually allows them to feel satiated, satisfied, mm -hmm. and, and not wanting more. Uh, my sister, she's a therapist. She she's a specialized therapist, and she works long hours and, and strange hours. And she claims that drinking sentia one evening with her friends, the next two days she can work very easily and feel very very calm, relaxed, and satisfied, and 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 so on. And with a reduced hunger and a, and a reduced desire to consume something. So I think that. Alcohol leaves many people with a desire to need more. Sentient, in my experience and the experience of many, is, is the opposite. It actually helps to satisfy and make people feel fairly calm and relaxed and not needing something else. Can you drive on Sentia? We recommend that people don't drive. And the reason <laughs> okay. we recommend is Sentia is designed to relax. And I, we cannot predict the level of alertness or relaxation that is safe. So we, we make the recommendation If you're going to drink Sentia, don't drive. But the question is for how long and how does it affect individuals? So I think we have to be intelligent adults and we have to be aware of ourselves. We have to listen to our own bodies. But my recommendation is don't drink for 40 minutes after uh, a glass of Sentia. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I mean, interesting enough, like, I mean, you would think more of the drinks as something at a bar than in nightlife, for example, mm. so far. But I mean, so something I immediately thought about is that, let's say, this lends itself also to be a drink that eventually might be consumed with psychedelics. I mean, mm. <laughs> for example, um, let's say a very popular thing in Berlin, and I think in England too, is let's say, let's say to take recreational MDMA with your friends, even a little bit. But then obviously you should not drink alcohol because that's what people always did in rave times here. But I mean, it, as we know, it's not a good idea. So do you think that Santia will be a drink also that is actually perfect to enjoy with microdoses of psychedelics at one point? I, I, we don't have enough experience and we haven't gathered data We do know that Sentia is being consumed and, and ordered and consumed and purchased for social events that take out, place outside of public environments. There was a, a rave here in, in Bristol, where I am now, on January 1. It began at 10 in the morning and went on into the evening. Oh, wow. And I, I was invited to go, and I couldn't for, for a reason. But I also thought, 
on the January the 1, I mean, most people will be asleep getting over the night before. <laughs> Actually, if it was a sober rave and 500 people attended, and it was a, a blowout success. Um, we provided Sentia, and Sentia oh, was the... Uh, Sentia was, was the primary, you know, uh, kind of experience. And the re yeah. reply, I, the report I got back was uh, incredible. And I, I, I can't find it right now, but I'd like to read you what they said. People really enjoyed it. They experimented widely with a lot of different mixes and cocktails. Uh, they were very imaginative and creative in how they used Sentia. They had Sentia red and black. But the report back was absolutely fantastic. Um, but these were people who chose to attend a sober, a sober rave on the 1st of January. So I think that, uh, and I don't know what else was consumed at that, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing so Senti wasn't the only, um, thing. And it may well be that people, uh, chose to take MDMA. I don't know. But, but still, I mean, and I think we talked about this already last, in our last conversation that you can really see how the dominance of alcohol, let's say, I mean, here in Berlin, in this nightlife or in this going out in the evening, I mean, it's still there, but for example, there's this club called Barkhain, a very famous club here. And um, the last time I was there months ago with friends and I was watching the bar and nobody ordered alcohol. It was maybe one guy ordering a beer, then the others would order mate or water. So it's almost like redundant to have all this alcohol sitting there. So, and um, I find especially like a certain, maybe younger generation, but also a generation that maybe is now looking into a psychedelic experience or like therapy even, is actually stepping away from alcohol. And I feel like some people also started to do this because they felt that besides the physical, you know, like downside and what affects your, your cell and your mito, how do you call it, mitochondrias. So, and, um, but it's also bringing up kind of unresolved trauma in people. Mm -hmm. Like, and I remember, I'm sure you have to remember that too, like on, on some parties or some events with some people who were just nicely drunk and then something switched and um, they became either rage, so-called raging alcoholics or like starting crying and everything. And I feel this is something that is also like a, almost like a, like a taboo thing, mm -hmm. like in terms of drinking alcohol. Is this something that goes into the research also when, when you research, Santia? I think we've, we've, we've seen that. Um, because alcohol doesn't just activate GABA. GABA is the first thing that alcohol does. First thing it does is touch out is GABA, but then it goes on immediately to then activate other receptors, which can be in conflict with GABA. And our, we're all different. And so our receptiveness and openness and the extent to which we our own GABA or glutamate or dopamine or serotonin or oxytocin is activated can be different degrees. And so we will respond differently as the alcohol invades each of those different neurosystems. And I think we will behave differently and that will activate memories and experiences from the past. We have, all of the work that we have done from a scientific point of view has been to be very narrow and to only activate the GABA side. And by doing that, we avoid creating that 
potentially unpredictable chaos that happens when you activate a lot of other things, which have consequences that we don't want. Dopamine is, you know, is a, activating dopamine can have very negative, addictive consequences. Alcohol does do that. We do everything that we can to avoid that. Um, so I think that that chaos of pressing the accelerator and the brake and activating the radio and the CD player and the telephone <laughs> and the windows going up and down and the windscreen wipers can create experiences that, that are, are not pleasant. Um, and I think alcohol, and the, the more we drink alcohol, the more alcohol progresses through our, our neurosystem, the more likely we are to experience things that we didn't anticipate or don't want, we wouldn't choose. Well, Which that's is not to say that alcohol is terrible. I enjoy a glass of wine and I still no, no, enjoy course, but... a glass of single malt. But I'm aware yeah. of the potential negative aspects of it. But you were saying also the the dopamine topic is also something that we start to hear a lot, that basically reflecting on your dopamine level and what it creates in you, either if it's shopping or like, you know, drinking or like kind of addictive, mm. for you addictive things to do. Um, but I find interesting that this expression sober is, has this huge comeback right now. And I mean, of course, I, I remember living in California, there was always like California sober. And uh, I think it means people with smoking pot, but not drinking, um, wasn't also not really the solution <laughs> to a lot of things. But I mean, I remember writing 2016, I wrote a story about the so-called like cannabis luxury industry. Like it, you know, these kind of fancy looking vape pants started to come on and I think it was in LA, um, Saks Fifth Avenue had this, this this floor of products and this floor was called High Times, meaning it was only kind of cannabis equipment, um, you know, the whole, yeah, kind of luxury um, products around this mm. renaissance of cannabis or like the introdu introduction of actual California sober. So, and um, another thing in this time was that a lot of cannabis companies tried to create specific flavors. And like what you said earlier, like if you want to feel like this, then you should smoke this or vape this. Mm. If you want to feel active, vape this. If you want to feel, do Netflix and chill, do this. If you want to be creative, do this. So, do we actually? Do we have this desire to, to kind of create our emotions mm. today mm. as opposed to maybe 20, 30 years ago? Do we want to control them also with new substances? Do you think that's the case? I think it's a really good question. You know, it is the choice that we have now to control how we feel or is it instead to feel who we really are? Yeah. And, and that's mm. different. And I, I think with alcohol, eventually you end up feeling whatever it is that alcohol makes you feel. And you're not, eventually you're not in control. What I want from the, the things that we do as a company, what we want as a company, is for people to be able to choose to be themselves with other people and to explore who they are and to explore that relationship with other people. So I'm, I'm really not interested in controlling how people feel. I, I want people to be able to explore that and to discover that 
themselves. I was in a, I, about, until about four or five years ago, I used to be a basketball coach on the weekends I used, for my kids. You know, I used to help 25 kids come together on Saturdays. And at the end of it, we'd go to the pub. And, and I always enjoyed going to the pub. You know, you've got kids and adults and it's a nice, healthy environment. A lot of noise going on. A lot of, a lot of you know, sometimes we, got, we had to leave the pub and go to a different pub because the, the kids <laughs> were making too much noise. And then one, one day I took my daughter up to Manchester University and we went to a, a shisha restaurant where people smoke from a shisha pipe, but no alcohol. And what I could see is that everyone who walked into the room was acknowledged by other people. Their eyes met. Mm. When they came to the table, everybody at the table made room for them. Their eyes synchronized. They smiled. They spoke quickly to everybody. What I noticed is that although everybody was engaged in conversation, the noise level was much less. And people were actually smiling and connecting instead of one person dominating the conversation, which was pretty much how the pub works, where you have somebody shouting to be because he thinks or she is very, very interesting. And everybody had to listen. In this restaurant, it was different. It was uh, far more, far more exciting to me to watch this and interesting and, and lovely, quite lovely. Um, much more democratic, much more engagement, much more connection. I feel as though people will go home from that evening feeling emotionally way uh, more 100%. Whereas people from the pub, will have gone home being less than they could be, my, my feeling. Uh, so I, I, I feel as though the choice is not us making you feel one way or another. I think the choice is allowing people to explore each other more easily, uh, to connect more easily and, and find out who the other person is and to find out who they are in that exchange. And that's what GABA allows. It allows that openness, that connection, that conviviality. But I mean, um, it seems anyway that that's the thing that most people have not learned or even lost in COVID, the, the art of connection or that it kind of came, it was kind of harmed um, because of, I mean, as, as crazy as it is, we have all these Zoom calls and we don't have to travel around the world. But I mean, it's funny that still today, like really serious meetings, people start to come back to personal meetings again, mm. instead of just hopping on a call. And I mean, we can record this podcast now because of technolo better technology. But so it seems that my observation is also that more people are actually craving for a connection support mm. that they might not know it before anyway, but After COVID, it was actually worse than it was already before COVID. Um, but I want to quickly come back to this sober thing, because I mean, I remember there were a couple of articles, I'm sure, in, in all the Western countries when journalists were starting to write, oh, I stopped drinking, um, I had to, or I wanted to, and now I go into a group of people and everybody's first kind of expelling me almost in a way, saying like, oh, I don't, you're not fun anymore. You don't drink. And that you actually are expelled from society in, in a way. So, and I would think that in the main parts of our Western societies, this would still be the case. So, 
And um, I find it also interesting that, and I'm sure that was in England the same thing, that here there was this whole wave of alcohol-free drinks like beer and wine and everything. But then you could see that people were also really almost like annoyed by it and drank even more in this secretly hoping that it would be some alcohol somewhere at the end of the bottle hidden or something. Mm. So how do you think this will contribute to creating a new way of, of celebration if you with a, f a couple of people, if you're not like in a one-on-one -on -one situation or in an intimate group of people? I remember you told me you had this press event um, And it was actually everybody trying Santia. And it was, you said it was a wild party. <laughs> so how do we have to imagine this with, with a new way of drinks or the new style of drinks that's coming our way? So the question is, what kind of social, what, what expectations can we have yeah. for parties and social get-togethers in the future? Um, I, I think you're, you're right. It's taking a little bit of, time for society to adjust and we're adjusting at different paces in different countries and different age groups. How will we adjust to moving from an alcohol-driven social engagement to not, no alcohol? And there was a time when people drank zero alcohol only because they were driving or because they were on medication or some other reason. And then we had to drink things that were horrible, alcoholic, zero alcohol drinks that didn't taste of anything. And then the alcohol company started to experiment with flavors and colors and, and sugar. And then so then we were supposed to drink zero alcohol drinks that would, would basically sugared water with different types of flavoring and labels. Um, but with functional drinks like Sentia and Alcarol when it's available, uh, we, we can actually feel some of the things that we want from alcohol. Um, And our goal is to release products that are not as strong as vodka, not as strong as whiskey, um, something in the, in the range of a wine, that sort of strength, a beer and a wine. Right now, we can make, even with botanicals, we can make the most amazing beers and cider and sparkling wine. We can make a champagne-like product that will feel, feel just like a good champagne. Um, they're not... We haven't released those products, we hope, during 2024 to find partners that will then... We don't want to own the, the product. We want to simply provide the ingredient. But we expect to release these products in, in certain countries during 2024. And I think that's going to open up way more choice where we can expect to go to a party and enjoy the same good feelings that other people want from their champagne or from their beer, but without the negative. And I think that's... Um, I think you should ask me then what the future is going to look like, <laughs> because we all have more experience of how people use these. The, you know, the, the event that you're talking about took place in London, where for the first time we made available to members, out, people who are not members of our team, to outsiders, and it was the press, we made available to them something like a champagne with the full effect, uh, ciders with the full effect, beers with the full effect, without any alcohol, but with the effect of alcohol. And the initial response was caution, skepticism, conservative, you know, not, not being sure, uncertainty. But by the end of the evening, the room was full of noise and laughter and, and people were having a really enjoyable time, like any healthy party. 
and people didn't want to leave and we have to be asked to leave the building. And that's been our, by the way, that's been our experience with Sentia as well. When David, when I first, when we first put Sentia together, uh, David Nutt is a chairman of a, a charity called Drug Science, which is a research charity that does work into the use of, of substances and the abuse and, and the property and, the, and how to improve medical access to the right substances. And they do a number of public events. Uh, we began to make our product, Sentia, available and it changed those events. People, instead of leaving just after the speeches, just after the, the teaching, people stayed. That's interesting. And they would stay for as long as they could until the security of the building asked us to leave. And then they would walk out talking together. So having access to something like Sentia, and, and we used to offer wine before. David, drug science used to offer wine. But introducing Sentia just changed the dynamic. It allowed for, a, it allowed for more real conversation and conversation that was sticky and people wanted to continue the conversation and then would stand outside and carry on talking. So I think, I think it's too early to say how this will affect all of society, but I'm watching with great curiosity every time we release another product and take it to another venue, how will this, for example, I'm so sorry that I missed the rave on the 1st of January. <laughs> I, 500 people, I really thought it was going to flop you know, a rave on the 1st of January. I think everybody should be getting over the hangover from the night before. Mm. No, 500 people turned up and apparently it was a storming success and people really, really enjoyed the sense of No alcohol was served. Um, so I think that everything that we do now is becoming, and we're very curious, we're learning as we go and we want feedback. We want people to tell us, are we going in the right direction? Is this what we should do? Um, yeah, so I, I can give you my thoughts on what I've seen, but I, I can't predict the future. What I can predict is that human beings are amazing. And if we're allowed to be ourselves, and if we're, if we're able to connect with each other and truly make contact, then, wow, uh, what, what can happen then is, is in, can be incredible. Um, and that's what we want to understand. Isn't it, but isn't it that we, I mean, this sounds like a, a nice idea, especially the red one, the red version, like a like a potion that we used to, I mean, we used to have these kind of potions and mixtures. And there's this great book by Brian Murarescu, The Immortality Key, who you certainly know, I'm sure, mm. where he talks about the, the, the LSD spiked beer, you could say, that um, was a psychedelic beer. And then when only allowed, only women were allowed to, to kind of produce it. And when the Catholic Church became really serious, they took out the LSD and the women <laughs> too. So it just stayed regular beer. But it seems that there's a whole history of potions and little, today you would say supplements that we start to rediscover right now. Like for example, with Kana as an equivalent said it very simply now, but to a natural MDMA, then um, even coca leaves are rediscovered by a couple of Canadian companies looking into them as just a stimulant and not an illegal drug. So is Sentia also like the company, are you guys also looking into other, let's say, ethnobotanical surprises for, for the next years? So I think that's a really good question. And and there's, we have a lot of choices, but the primary purpose, we have to remember what our primary purpose is with Sentia. 
sentient. We're not. In fact, if you if you say, well, what what does my company do, and what is our goal? We are not really a drinks company. We aren't here to okay. create drinks. We're more of a research-based organization. Our goal is to develop an ingredient, Alcarel, and to bring that to the market. And if we can bring Alcarel to the market in the USA by 2026, then we can make available in the USA an ingredient that we can license to ingredient companies for them to supply drinks, brand, majors. So we would expect Coors and Diageo and AB InBev and Heineken and Carlsberg and, and et cetera to then begin to use Alcorel as an alternative to alcohol in their drink. And we would expect a new generation of drink products which activate GABA and allow you to feel like you're drinking alcohol, the good part of it, but without all that negative baggage that comes with alcohol. Now, that's my number one goal as a company. That's, that's what our company's goal is. So you might say, David, well, you've got a couple of wonderful products here, Sentia Red, Sentia Black. Why are you doing that if your goal is Alcorel? And the reason that we're doing Sentia Red and Sentia Black is, is really it's a proof of concept because it's very hard to communicate the, the idea of GABA unless you can isolate it and allow people to test it. And saying that we're going to replace alcohol as the primary ingredient in social drinking is a very big claim. To explain how GABA works intellectually is very difficult. So we needed an alternative. We needed a proof of concept. And that's what Sentia is. So we have, although we're very excited about plants, and you know, I, we've done a lot of research on plants from South America, from the Amazon, and plants from Australia and, and Africa, and even from the USA. And we, we have a database of 400 plants, each of which has particular benefits. Um, our main goal is to demonstrate the role of GABA and activating GABA. I think at some point we will no longer own Sentia. We will allow Sentia to be purchased by another company. Uh, so somebody else will acquire Sentia and we will focus much more on Alcorel as an ingredient. And we'll go back to our core Alcorel roots. So Sentia is something that's developed very rapidly. It's been very successful. People love it. We're having to increase production. We're under pressure to produce more versions. I've described the ciders and the champagne and, and so on. But our core root and our core goal ultimately is Alcorel. And it's bringing that to market because that itself will generate a revolution in social drinking and social connection. And I think we'll create a, a new generation of drinks and a massive amount of experimentation. Uh, and a lot of new companies and brands will be created that will generate that new generation of, that will create that new generation of beverages. And I think that's where innovation, innovation will really take off. Right now, innovation is, is either around sugars and color and flavor or stuff that's outside of legal framework. I think what we want to create is a, is a revolution within that legal framework um, where GABA can be activated across a, a vast range of drink formats. So, so the Alcorel is actually activating the GABA receptor. That's, that's uh, what it does. That's maybe, what Alcorel right? does. It is specifically mm. targeted very narrowly to activate the GABA receptor and a particular combination of sublevels within the GABA receptor and not GABA everywhere, but only in a very 
localized um, you know, part of our brain. So it's it's high, it's designed for a very narrow function uh, for a number of reasons. One is because that's the, the positive effect that we believe alcohol provides. <laughs> Um, and also because it, uh, we want minimal impact upon the human body. We just want to activate the bit that feels good uh, without doing all the other stuff that, that alcohol does. And I mean, the question arises very fast, similar again to psychedelic, to the psychedelic industry, where you would have the problem that some people see, uh, oh, once pharma, big pharma knows about this, sees psychedelic therapy or like psychedelic, research. I mean, today we just heard that Atai is um, investing five, 50 million in Beckley SciTech. So the pharma thing is kind of happening. Mm. And a lot of critis critics say in the psychedelic industry say, well, I mean, the pharma arm will take over all the other you know, engagements in this industry. And of course, I could imagine that This is something you might think about too, that the classic alcohol industry in the world, which is a super strong, probably one of the biggest industries, is trying to kind of prevent this kind of redefinition of drinking and alcohol. So are there already kind of experiences you're having where you get like lawsuits or, I mean, you don't have to go into de yeah, yeah. detail, but I'm wondering. Yeah. So, you know, the question really is, Will how will big alcohol respond? Uh, yeah, when we began, alcohol, yeah. yeah, when we began our journey, which is back in 2015, there was a. In, in my mind, this didn't represent a real market opportunity. Instead, it represented a labor of love. It represented a mission that need that David Nutt was on, and he was mm -hmm. the leader. And I considered him initially to be a little bit crazy. You know, he wanted to create a synthetic alcohol. Why? Why? We've already got an alcohol. Why do you want to create another one? <laughs> His answer was, I've got a better one. I said, well, do we need a better one, really? It's only by understanding the problem of alcohol and the damage that it does that I began to realize that this is an important conversation. But even then, that didn't make it a, a business opportunity because the The, the, the vision of big alcohol and how they would respond was huge. And there was no evidence. There was, no, there was minimal evidence at the time that this generation would change the world the way that this generation is changing the world in terms of its demand for healthy consumption. So it didn't look like a business or market opportunity, but it did look like a mission that was worth supporting. You know, but almost like a mission you do from a religious conviction point of view, not because it's a market opportunity. So I gave David my help initially and I said, yeah, I'll help you. But I didn't think of it as a business. I thought of it as more as a, as a place to lose, lose some money. What's happened in the, in, the, in the eight years since then is that the world has changed. This generation has changed the way the markets work. This generation is actively seeking healthier alternatives. They're looking for ways to be more relaxed, uh, to de-stress in, in, in a world which is increasingly stressful, uh, and to consume food and drink and, and, and less pharmaceuticals. You know, younger people are looking for food to be the source of health uh, and, and to, to avoid the need for medicine. So they, they're looking for ways to live that will provide a healthier, longer life. And that goes hand in hand with the older generation 
that is now more educated. The older generation now has a much better understanding of uh, the impact of alcohol than, than we ever did. Um, I have only learned in the last 10 years about the impact of alcohol. When I was younger, I didn't care. I thought I would live forever and I was made of rubber and I would always be older. <laughs> you know, I would never have, a, have to restrict myself on anything. So there's, 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 there's the older generation that's growing up, that's grown up and has now learned a great deal. And much of what we've learned, we've learned from, our, from the younger generation. You know, I was rather shocked when my children told me they didn't drink alcohol at college because they thought grass was healthier. They thought grass was okay, but alcohol was unhealthy. And I thought, wow, okay, gosh, you know, interesting. Said, and, and I began, so we all begin, we've all learned from, from the younger generation. So there's two things going on. The older generation, which has money, disposable income, is spending money and experimenting with life hacking methods and ways to consume more healthily. And then the young generation is pushing forward. Uh, they've never actually been hooked on alcohol. So it isn't that it's not that they're looking for alternatives to alcohol. They're looking for ways to relax and to consume in a healthy way. So they have a different driver. Uh, and that's all happened really since 2015. Um, and by 2030, the world will look very, very different. By 2030, alcohol will be in the market. We will have wide experience of the adoption and consumption of alcohol in America. We probably will have landed in Europe by then. Um, so I think that the I think social drinking, celebration landscape will look very different. We also expect the botanicals will have evolved tremendously. Uh, we're working right now to develop stronger botanicals and to identify different and to develop different formats of drinks, different types of drinks with botanicals. And we expect that the botanicals market will also be quite substantial. Um, we think that Alcarel will be will be much much larger because of the fact that we can use Alcarel to create any drink very, very easily. Whereas it takes quite a lot of time and investment to create a new botanical that is, a, is an acceptable botanical and that is successful. So I think by, by 2030, the world will have um, continued and this generation will have grown up and will have more disposable income and will be having an even greater impact upon how markets work. So botanical is something like Santia right now. Yes. Is that what you not mean? All, yeah, okay. yeah mm -hmm. not all botanicals are functional, but we mm -hmm. are looking to license some of our technology to other companies so that other people can make botanicals, functional botanicals. Germany is really important for us as a market. Germany is the most advanced. Germany is ahead of the UK. You know, in, in Europe, it's mm -hmm. really Germany number one, then the UK, maybe Spain, uh, in terms of experience and demand and sophistication. So Germany is really important for us. And I wish that we were in Germany already. Um, I would love to find You will it. be there very soon. <laughs> I, I, I know we're coming to visit you guys. Uh, I would love to have a good German partner that would help us to launch German branded products in Germany. Yeah, I mean, we're working on that. But I, um, but I mean, if you look back at the, I mean, it's almost like the history of alcohol It's like so interesting how it is connected with um, the idea of culture and creativity hmm. in a bigger, you know, in the biggest scale in, in the 20th century, like painters, writers, I don't know, like the whole movie industry, like entertainment is so, I felt it was so strongly connected to, or is still maybe hmm. so strongly connected to alcohol. Um I mean, other substances too, but alcohol is really the number one. I mean, 
or even for example like dating you meet for a drink like the it's always a drink it's always alcohol so do you think this is also like a cultural revolution we're experiencing not only like a health related oh let's become healthier let's live longer it's also the outcome of cultural products might be completely different with that mm. don't you think i think it's true that alcohol Oops. has um has found its way in to the center of our culture, has almost edged out everything else and forced its way in. It's in the middle of the table. And, you know, it's all about me. The, and, and, and then there's a, a whole um, story around the origins of this wine and then the heritage. And, and so we often care more about the origins of the, of the wine than actually do we really like it or not. Um, the history and so on becomes important. And we look at the label and does the label effuse history or, or tradition? Um, and so we measure the value of a, of a, of a, of a brand from, from our understanding of its provenance. Um, I think there's a lot of marketing has happened to create that. Uh, but I also think that the thing that, sh that we share between us and uh, when we all arrive together at a table, you know, one, the one thing that we all share is whatever it is that we're drinking. So it's the thing that connects everybody together. And then it's the thing that activates your gather and allows the, the human connection to happen. So we begin to talk with each other more as a result of, of that thing that so we consume. Do you mind turning off the notifications a little bit? That's a little bit, I just want to make sure we have to... Yeah. <laughs> we have a really good recording. Yeah. So I think, I think it's a combination. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of money behind um, behind alcoholic, alcohol marketing. Mm -hmm. you know, the large alcohol companies in most developed countries will fund both sides of parliament. Um, uh, they will, and why? I don't think you'll ever find a, an alcohol company bribing one party or other, but they will fund both sides. And then they will be very happy to withdraw funding when a party takes a position that they're, that's not not favorable to them. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there is a sort of a pattern of behavior and a funding. The same thing with press, you know, newspapers that um, take an anti-alcohol stand may lose out on press advertising. Yeah. And so huh? you've got, you know, there's a lot of money talks and alcohol, you know, 70% of alcoholic drinks expenditure is on branding and marketing. And that money is going to the organizations that, lit, that communicate and media you communicate with Joe public so messaging is a is a is is highly influenced by the interests of, of the alcohol industry um that's so it's not only natural that alcohol will have had a very special place in our imaginations and in, in our culture uh, but if you go back to ancient Greece and ancient Rome and ancient Egypt even then alcohol played a major part of of culture And much of the ceremonies and the imagery and, and, the, um, and the art from those times will show uh, the role of alcohol as being central, not just to the festivity itself, but also to the economy surrounding uh, the populations that enjoyed those festivities. Uh, alcohol was, it's thought that alcohol may have played the primary role in the evolution of money uh, exchange. You know, the invention or the, the discovery of grain that could be produced and, and, and thrashed 
in, in large quantities um, because of a defect that allowed it to be easily converted into, into usable um, um, sugar-based material for, for creation of foods, allowed the creation of alcohol and the very rapid evolution of an alcohol industry where alcohol became a form of exchange. A form of exchange that allowed populations to move to essentially begin wage labor where payment was in the form of alcohol. So alcohol has played a, a massive role, uh, not just in modern times, but going way back to the origins of society. David Nutt will talk about his belief that many of the large Stonehenge and other locations like Stonehenge were essentially places where wonderful parties would take place. Uh, he wrote in one of his books about the origins of civilization in Greece, of, of the legal structures which arose out of uh, the need to formalize governance of festivities, which took place for weeks at a time, where alcohol uh, played, you know, was, was uh, people came together to drink large quantities of alcohol, and people who didn't know each other from different cities came together. And that was a way in which society became more socialized and, and, a, and a level of, of uh, stability and, and, and uh, mutual dependence uh, began to emerge. And, and out of that came laws for, for governing that, that mass of people coming together. And alcohol underlay that. You know, so one argument is that the, the modern society that we have was created through uh, alcohol-induced um, celebration and, and people being drunk, uh, basically, and needing to manage that situation. So, but so, I, yes, alcohol plays a, a central role. It is partly advertising, but it's also innate that the thing that brings us together and that has brought us together for 10,000 years and more um, should have a, a fairly important place. And it's interesting that it's the same technology that we use today. You know, 10,000 years ago, we were using wood, I guess, for heat, and then we moved to coal and then oil and gas, and, and now we use solar. Um, but we're still using the same technology for alcohol. And there's, it's difficult to imagine any other aspect of life where we're still using the same technology as 10,000 years ago. But I mean, it's also that it seems that, um, I mean, it's, for example, also if creative people start to talk about their psychedelic experiences, like for example, the director of Dune, um, who, you know, like the Denis Villeneuve, who talks about his magic mushroom trips before he wrote the script for Dune. <laughs> it's not the only one, but he was pretty open about it. So it's almost like if you watched a movie, it, re it presents you a different perception of a, almost like a different reality, a different story, like not different, but also like it's about a bigger universe. It's not mm -hmm. only, oh, the bad guy, the good guy, whoa, they figure it out. And one, one of them gets the, the money or the girl or both. Mm -hmm. So it, it's more like it has so many ways to look at the world. And I want to say that it has to do because it has to do something with the fact that the director is opening up to, to psychedelics. Do you also think that we need new ways of looking at the world right now or at ourselves because it seems that a lot of I mean in, in many ways a lot of things are no longer working 
or we realize, I mean, things come to the surface that were hidden for a long time, or like you could always kind of work around them. But now it is obviously no, nothing ever happens that isn't, doesn't want to come to the surface. So mm. is this also reflecting in substances that we looking into or drinking, do you think? Um, I think, okay, so I don't think the world is difficult to understand. That's my own. Mm -hmm. I'm, I kind of, I, I'm a strong believer in science, in rational thought. And on a personal level, I don't feel the need to use substances to understand the world. I might consider using a substance to be momentarily relaxed, but not because I need to use that as a journey to understand the world. I think we can understand the world through rational eyes and through conversation and through thought and through writing things down and, 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 and critical thought. So that's my, that's my approach. And I have never met anyone who has shown me that they, their understanding of the world has been advanced through the use of substances. Now, David not may dis disagree with me and we don't always agree on, on things, but that's my approach. So I'm naturally much more structured in my thinking. And I think we can go a long way by using reason. However, we are going through an incredibly, we're going through a period of life, uh, we're going through a period in which our environment, the environment that human beings find themselves in is changing more rapidly than ever in the past. And, and our bodies haven't necessarily adapted and our brains haven't adapted to be able to manage that rate of change in the way that we're experiencing. And so we're going through, we're going, we're going through a, a, a journey of unknowns. Um, and it may be that I'm wrong, um, but, I, but so far, um, I feel there's a, even if you're traveling on a ship through fog, um, the use of reason and the use of knowledge that we have, uh, observed fact, is, is, um, is more valuable um, than perhaps um, putting that to one side. Uh, so, my, so therefore, I, I tend to operate within a more conventional framework of, of where the mind is, which is why I'm interested in alcohol and the alternatives to alcohol. Because the majority of society on a daily routine basis has to operate within that in order to function. And I think that alcohol provides something very valuable, but also very damaging. So my, my focus, I think the focus for the company is to function, is to provide a better solution and better alternatives, better options um, for a society that does that. So for, I'll give you an example somebody that operates an offshore oil platform or that drives an airplane with 400 passengers um, or that operates a fire engine or that has to recover injured people on a highway because they drive an ambulance. Those people have to operate today in the here and now, 24 hours, and they have to operate at a high level of, of physical and mental performance. They also have to relax. And when they relax, they have to know they can go back into work fairly quickly and function at a high level of performance. And what my company is about is allowing those people and other humans 
who have to perform in a normal way to be able to relax offline, but come back into the work environment feeling very good and physically relaxed. After an evening drinking with friends, drinking sensi with friends, I feel amazing. I sleep incredibly well. I wake up in the morning without a hangover. My mind is crystal clear. I'm full of energy and I, I want to go and I want to I be alive. Whereas I know if I spend an evening with friends drinking single malt whiskey, that's not going to be true. <laughs> I, will, yeah. I will be different. So I think I'm op- yeah. we are operating at that level, giving people options to, be, to operate at their best and to, to be at their best with friends. So I think I may have mentioned last time we spoke, one of the things that drove me to do this with Santi and with Alcarel is a conversation I had with a young lady. She was telling me about her experience. She's a friend of my daughter's and she was telling me about her experience at university. She said she hadn't enjoyed it. I said, oh, so I had an amazing time at university. She hadn't enjoyed it. I asked why. She said, oh, she didn't get to know many people. Well, that's strange because I was familiar with the university which I went to and there were a lot of parties and I definitely met a lot of people and enjoyed it. She said, no, she, she remembered walking down the corridor and she arrived to a party she'd been invited to. It. The closer she got to the door, the more nervous she became. She could hear everybody having a great time on the other side of the door. And when she got to the door, she stopped and then decided to turn around and go back to her room because she was actually frightened to walk through the door. Interesting. Mm. And so she missed out on an opportunity to get to that. And, she, and that kind of stayed with her. And so she became slightly detached and she didn't become engaged. She didn't develop a lot of friends at the university because she was very shy. Um, and I, I'm sure the world would have been different had she walked through the door and actually just been available to communicate with people and get to know people. They would have, she would have been welcomed. And I think that's, that's the thing that we're looking for. We're not looking to re-understand the world. We're just looking to open the, to enable that doorway to be open more easily. Yeah, there's, there's so many situations that come to mind where you, where alcohol is like a normal thing to do. And because you are too, I don't know, too shy to, you feel like an outsider, like, so, um, or you, you don't want to be the only one not drinking, like so many equations where it's like, where you don't think about it anymore. And, but, but a lot of people, if I have conversations, especially about times in media, looking back at this, it was really a time where there was way too much alcohol and it was the absolute normality. And if you wouldn't, again, like you say, if you wouldn't engage, you would be maybe missing out on a really great job that would be offered to you at the end of the night or like the acquaintance of a powerful person that could help you to, and, and, and so on kind of. And I mean, this whole system, it's very fascinating to me how this is falling apart, eventually would fall apart also like a power structure um, that is no longer working, obviously. So, um, but before we go, um, I want to know what the, the golden, the third drink is going to be like. You just quickly mentioned it. So, yeah. So red was, Sentia Red was the first product. First yeah. Sentia Black came along. Sentia Black, Red took maybe three years to develop, four years. Sentia Black took two years. Gold has been very slow to develop, largely because of the color. So 
its main purpose is to be much more of a, a high, high energy. Uh, it will lead to much more vivacious interaction and and uh, and and physical energy. My sister, I often use my sister in, as an example. <laughs> she claims that when she brings her friends together, with Sentia Red, everybody sits back into the sofa. They kind of sit back and lean back and they're relaxed. When they drink black, they lean forward because they're much more oh, engaged. Okay. They will, you'll physically see them move forward and connect. They want to be part of the conversation. So it's more for a group conversation. Mm-hmm. With Sentia Gold, you'll see people stand up. They want to naturally dance up. Yeah. <laughs> Just they want to move around. So we showed, we took Sentia Red, Black and Gold to a, to a, to, a, to, a, to London, to a gentleman. He owns a number of nightclubs. And um, he was only interested in gold, wasn't interested in red, wasn't interested in black, but he wanted gold. I think he, he was a very wealthy man. He would have bought the whole company if he could, if it wasn't for sale. Just because of gold. Just because of wow. gold. Um, okay. <laughs> and so that was quite interesting. And he offered it. He, his business partner was there. His business partner agreed. And then his girlfriend came in. And uh, he said to her, what do you think? Which one? She said, oh, gold. He says, I want to buy the... Is that she said, yeah, absolutely. So there was a unanimity on gold for that environment, which is like a high energy, you know, nightclub. Um, but it's not designed for nightclub. And in fact, none of our products really are designed for nightclubs. They're designed for people to come together. And in fact, most of our, most of Sentia is drunk, not in nightclubs or pubs even. It's drunk at home with friends. It's drunk in the garden, on a beach. It's drunk in social yeah. gatherings, people coming together, a table in the garden over a barbecue um, in the evening, uh, simply because that's how people buy Sentia. It's, it's sold online, it's available you know, on our website and through Amazon. And so people will buy it and take it home and then invite their friends. Um, it increasingly is finding its way into shops and pubs, but we don't put any time or resources into that. We think that pubs are increasingly ordering it, but um, the percentage of vast majority of what we sell is, is online. But it's interesting that might, because you already think that without thinking of Santia that the the future of nightclubs will change too because there's more and more also events where people go to experience, let's say, a sound bath or like a, like you say, like a coming together, even if it's with dancing. Mm. But let's say this 80s, 90s idea of the hardcore nightclub um, <laughs> with drugs and alcohol and like, I mean people harming themselves also with kind of trying to forget about themselves or what happened to them. So this seems to be like, it's almost like a period piece now. I think that if you watch movies like that, for example. I mean, when I grew up, I grew up, my parents lived overseas and so I would travel quite a lot. And so I, I grew up hanging out in nightclubs in, as a young, as a teenager in Spain. I spent a lot of time in mm. And uh, Cuba Libres were the, the big thing, you know, rum and coke. Well, you can make an amazing Cuba Libre with black, sentia black. And with Gabir, let me show you, <laughs> let me show you the next one. This is a, still not available publicly, but with this one, which we call Gabir, this is a sample. Mm-hmm. We can make a really powerful Cuba Libre. So you can put this into a, 
into Coca-Cola. And I, I really don't like Coca-Cola, except if it has rum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, if it has Gabir. And Gabir was originally designed for beer, Gabba beer. But we discovered that the underlying blend that we use for Gabir is directly usable in a whole range of formats. And so we're tweaking it now to make it work more effectively with beers and, and different spirits and uh, different, uh, to, to recreate the effect of different spirits. Uh, sparkling wine, cider, which I already mentioned. Um, and to make, you can make a wonderful rum and coke, basically. So, so when you come here, we will do like a, like a YouTube that would be fun, actually. Show. No, we, we do. And we will mix all kinds of cocktails, that, you and me. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. With Cynthia. And um, drinking a lot. I always think about like why this, where the self-harm also comes from. I mean, because mm. I mean, you see that a lot of people go out and not having a good time or maybe in the beginning. And then it borders on kind of forgetting about but like, you know, trauma maybe, or just kind of a, becomes a self-harming practice. Mm. Because I think the human body very fast tells you like, whoa, this is, you know, I don't feel very well if you do this like every other weekend or day. So, and um, and I feel like sometimes the 20th century had so many tools of self-harm in mm. store it's something I really think about a lot, how this culture where I also grew up in, and again, especially in media, mm. was providing you with so many tools to self-hate also, mm. in a way. Many, many things that became part of the, oh, once you grow up, you have to look into this and be able to handle this. And then some people became real addicts and nobody would actually understand what was going on with them and help them. And as we know, also, I mean, it goes until the AA question that even if people go into AA, it doesn't mean they will ever heal Mm. from their alcoholism. So it's like such a big topic to me and it touches so many kind of rules of growing up in the 20th century, you could say. So... There will be more than a YouTube show about this. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I understand. And there are many people who spend a good part of their life working hard to overcome some of the damage they experienced because they felt mm. for whatever reason that it was necessary to live in a way that was actually harmful to them. Yeah, uh, and some people didn't have a choice, so they found themselves in that situation. Yeah, but that's why I find it so interesting that these kind of drinks and the rise of psychedelics is basically happening together, or it's even researched mm. by somebody from the most important researchers yeah. in the the modern psychedelic world. That and, and I think maybe two two different ends of the spectrum. There's the end of the spectrum where some people may I imagine approach psychedelics because they want to overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something in their life, mm-hmm. and at the other end, it's because people want to avoid yeah. the damage that they've <laughs> observed in other people. Yeah, and it's true. And the, this generation, in you know, if I look at my children's generation, there are they're not kids; they're adults now. But there are those who have went through huge trauma. You know, I knew them when they were very little, and then they, as they grew. 
you could observe from a distance terrible life experiences. And then they've come, most of them have come through that now. And they've chosen a lifestyle which is balanced in a way that will help them stay away from what they went through before. So I think that's, that's part of the current generation. And the people I'm referring to are, have, have made very healthy choices. And then there are other kids of the same generation who managed to sidestep those traumas. And I think they're often making decisions to avoid falling into the trap that they've seen other people fall into. That's My generation didn't have that. We, I think when I was growing up, a lot of the things that we see today as being damaging and difficult were just seen as, I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think we had so many examples that we could look at and say, I'm going to learn from that and I'm going to avoid it. Mm. Um, we mm. didn't know as much. I think the internet has changed a lot. We're much more educated. We know more stuff today. We're much more self-conscious. We talk about it. We think about it. Growing up, we just bumped into walls. You know, we crashed and burned and some of us survived and learned a lesson and moved on. But today we learn very, very quickly. You know, the internet takes pictures and reminds you and then we, we share stories. So we, we get to know about the damage that around us very, very quickly. We see into other people's families because the information just becomes available. In my day, you didn't really know. You didn't really know. Um, you had a very small circle of, of knowledge, um, I think. So I think today's generation, is, there's much greater transparency, much greater transparency. We know what's happening in LA and we live in Bristol kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, right? I mean, you know what the Kardashians are having for breakfast. Right. So yeah. <laughs> so, well, great. It was a really interesting conversation. I mean, and uh, we should totally, you know, plan this before you come to do the an evening with Santia cocktails or, or morning. I mean, who cares? I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And um, so thank you for being on the show, David. It was really amazing. Very interesting. I've really enjoyed uh, my time talking to you, Anne. And I'm looking forward to visiting you in Berlin. Yeah, it's going to be great. Hey, and thank you for listening to this episode. Since I have you here, I just wanted to remind you, please follow us on Instagram, The New Health Club, on X, The New Health CL1, on LinkedIn, and please subscribe to our newsletter on Substack. I'm very happy if you are a returning listener and customer and fan of The New Health Club.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.